Hello, and welcome to another episode of Film Music Friday. I am your host, Aaron Smale. Today on Film Music Friday, we're doing another anatomy of a score, this time of a film called A Single Man. Filmed in 2009 and based on the novel of the same name by Christopher Isherwood, the film is directed by Tom Ford. Yes, that Tom Ford. In his directorial debut, His only other film to date is Nocturnal Animals from 2015, for which he was also director, producer, and writer. A Single Man takes place on Friday, November 30th, 1962, and follows the day of George, an English professor who is unable to cope with the despondent, bereaved nature of his existence after the sudden death of his partner, Jim. Throughout the day he has various encounters with different people that color his senses and illuminate the possibilities of being alive and human in the world. The film's score was composed by Polish film and theater composer Abel Korzniowski, who composed most of the music in the score. Additional music was composed by Japanese composer Shigeru Umebayashi. Because of the nature and structure of this score being quite different from our last anatomy of a score in episode 2 on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, I'll be moving through this film chronologically, highlighting the plot along with the music that accompanies. Let's get started. The film opens with the opening credits, set to an enchanting string piece called Drowning. In the background of the credits we see a blue-hued, toned body underwater in slow motion. It then cuts to Colin Firth's character, George, walking over to the car wreck where his dead lover, Jim, played by British actor Matthew Goode, lies. George kneels down and lies beside him and kisses him to the mournfully enchanting piece called Snow. suddenly cuts to George waking up from his nightmare. From the moment his feet hit the floor as he gets up, one of the score's most interesting pieces begins as George showers, shaves, puts on his clothes and gets ready for the day, aptly called Becoming George. All the while, he laments his painful and depressing existence since his lover Jim's death eight months prior, and states his intention to commit suicide later this evening. Just get through the goddamn day, he says, followed by, a bit melodramatic I guess, but then again, my heart has been broken. And as he takes another step, he winces in pain and clutches his chest for a moment to breathe. Now throughout the film, Tom Ford cleverly portrays the flashback moment George has of Jim and other instances through color. The present day is quite gray and lacks any brilliance in tone, and to contrast, the flashback scenes are appropriately more saturated. 
These occur quite a few times, but the practice doesn't by any means get old. Rather, it's fresh each time because each memory George has to us, the audience, is new. By the time the Becoming George track ends, George is having his morning coffee and still commenting on the day ahead in the voiceover. The piece ends as another flashback occurs when he answers the phone, replaying a memory of the call that he received from Jim's cousin, telling George that Jim has died in a car crash, and also that George won't be welcome to the funeral, that it's just for family. The next piece of music is called George's Waltz, composed by Shigeru Umebayashi. It takes place over a poignant scene wherein George is on the toilet reading a book and is distracted by the noisy children of the neighbors next door whom he can see out the window. He observes the nuclear family, entitled children, a housewife mother, and the grumpy father in a slim suit and hat going off to work. The music humorously cuts suddenly when the mother makes eye contact with George through the window and waves. He ducks down out of sight. In the first present-day dialogue of the film, George answers the phone to his friend Charlotte, played fabulously by Julianne Moore, and they make plans to have drinks at her place later that evening. The next piece, called Mescaline, plays as we see George taking out his gun and realizing that he has no bullets. He prepares his briefcase and gets ready to leave, but not before instructing his cleaning lady not to disturb the papers laid out on his desk. He travels to work past the neighbors once again to the tune of George's Waltz, which we heard earlier, and the waltz has come to symbolize his feelings about the neighbors, and more specifically, about the idea of the heteronormative relationship and a happy family. Now on campus, the same waltz music follows him through a crowd of students and professors at the university where he teaches before he's given away by a striking young male student. In the next music cue, we see George about to give a lecture for his English class with the striking young male student listening throughout in the front row. The music cue here as he begins his lecture is called Daydreams. I don't know about you, but I certainly have been known to daydream in the odd lecture or two. Now I know what you may be thinking, Aaron, all these pieces sound so similar. And they do, the differences are subtle. A lot of the pieces share similarities in tone, in tempo, and instrumentation. Unlike a John Williams score, for example, which we now know relies heavily on the use of leitmotifs, Korzeniowski's score here and the pieces by Umebayashi strive for a different purpose, which is to communicate the tone of this day in George's life, the one day the film takes place in so I think the style of film warrants this style of score. I like to think of it like this. Imagine a single day in your life. Generally, we only set out to do a few things in a day. Perhaps we're at work most of the day, or we're at school, or hanging out at home doing a few chores, or maybe out shopping. A day might consist of breakfast, a shift at work, some shopping for food on the way home, and then making some dinner, watching a movie, and going to bed. Now consider the mood of a single day in your life. 
Depending on what day of the week it is and what we're doing in the day, of course, usually our moods remain fairly one note throughout a day, maybe two or three notes on a good day. So if you were to score a day in your life or soundtrack it, I would think that most of the music would sound similar in tone to match your mood, and thus the pieces of music in your score or soundtrack end up being somewhat similar to each other. Bringing it back to a single man, the tone of George's day marred with depression and grief is generally one note, except for the few unexpected moments during which the music begins to heighten and differentiate. Remember, moments like George's observing the neighbors or getting ready for the day are the same as they always are for George and since Jim's death. So the music reflects that detail indulging the audience seeing it for the first time, while simultaneously giving those moments unique but similar qualities. Now I hope that all makes sense because it's going to be on the exam, folks. But for now, back to the movie. After the lecture, the striking young student, whom we now know to be named Kenny Potter, played by Nicholas Holt, begins talking to George forwardly, disregarding the conventional boundaries of student-professor discussion. There's very obviously a tension between the two, and the music cue mescaline plays faintly underneath their awkward but endearing conversation, which involved the discussion about the drug, mescaline. Interestingly, all the shots that include Kenny are more saturated than the cuts back to George, showing perhaps a reintroduction of saturation or of life into George's story. Later, George is seen cleaning out his desk, and he takes some papers away with him and throws some others away, in addition to drinking the last of the liquor in his desk. In the parking lot, George gets in his car and he's approached again by Kenny on his bike. Kenny expresses his interest in George and offers an invitation to get drinks with him this evening, but George declines, citing other plans. The music, once again, underneath and into the next scene, is similar to Mescaline, but is another track called Going Somewhere, the tone of which has now established itself as the one that plays when George and Kenny are interacting. George later takes some papers out of his safety deposit box at the bank, and after an interaction with the mother and daughter neighbors we saw earlier, he leaves the bank and goes to a gun store to buy bullets for his gun. As he parks and gets out of his car, a piece by Umebayashi plays called Variation on Scotty Tales Madeline, a variation on a theme by composer Bernard Herrmann written for the 1958 Alfred Hitchcock movie Vertigo.
The next interesting cue happens when we see George in a liquor store about to buy gin to bring to Charlotte that evening. As he leaves the liquor store, he bumps into a taller and younger man in a tight white t-shirt and jeans, and George loses grip of the gin and the man loses grip of his cigarettes. The bottle falls and breaks, drenching the cigarette packs in gin. George insists on buying the man a new pack while getting another bottle of gin for himself, and all this happens while the music cue called Carlos plays underneath. We established that the handsome Carlos is a male prostitute. He and George flirt a bit in Spanish and in English, but ultimately George refuses Carlos's subtle advances. Later, George is back at his home making the final preparations for his suicide, and the music underneath the scene is a pre-composed piece of music, an aria from an opera called La Wally by Alfredo Catalani. While this aria plays, a recording performed by Miriam Gauci, George is figuring out how exactly he wants to shoot himself. He goes through a variety of positions, including lying on his bed, sitting upright in the shower, and then finally in a sleeping bag on his bed. Suddenly the phone rings and he realizes it's time to go to Charlotte's. Throughout George's time at Charlotte's, we hear a couple of popular tunes, including Etta James singing Stormy Weather and Booker T and the MG's Green Onions. Don't know why There's no sun up in the sky Stormy weather Throughout the evening, as they get progressively more drunk, they chat like the old friends they are about relationships, old memories, and good times in their native London. Near the end of the evening, Charlotte asks if George's 16-year relationship with Jim was a substitute for real love, which angers George. They argue a bit, and Charlotte apologizes, admitting her jealousy at the kind of love that George and Jim had for one another. They wind down the evening in thoughtful conversation before George announces he's ready to go, much to Charlotte's dismay. Back at George's house, he's at his desk holding the gun. But he has a flashback to a bar not far from his place and near the beach called the Starboard Side. Joe Stafford's rendition of Blue Moon plays as we see a flashback of the evening that George first met Jim. Outside the bar, before it started raining, they exchange small talk and introduce themselves, and it soon turns into a flirtation. Cut back to the present, and George puts the gun down and runs out of the house hearing a branch snap along the way. He continues down to the starboard side. 
and as he's at the bar ordering a bottle of scotch and a pack of Lucky Strike cigarettes, who walks in but Kenny Potter? They seat themselves at a table, and George orders a scotch for the both of them. They exchange an oddly forward but charming and endearing conversation once again. Kenny admits he was looking for George, and that he doesn't know why. They discuss and philosophize about the past, present, and future before drinking some more. Kenny admits that he's lonely and generally unsure of himself and his place in the world. They chat about the value of experience in life, and suddenly Kenny says, let's go swimming, to prove a point. But George agrees, and off they go. Here plays the first piece of original music in quite a while, not since when George was talking to Carlos outside the liquor store. I think that speaks to the events that take place in between, that the previously composed pieces, the opera aria, stormy weather, green onions, and blue moon, all represent distractions to the present for George. He's planning his suicide to the opera aria, and he's chatting and being entertained by Charlotte to the other popular tunes, and he has a flashback with blue moon in the background. The next time we hear new music in this scene, probably my favorite piece in the score, is called Swimming. A beautiful moment of spontaneity occurs as both George and Kenny run down to the beach and take off their clothes to skinny dip in the moonlight. It would border on cliché if it wasn't for their primal yells, shouts, and screams, both of them letting go in a way. The scene culminates with George somehow getting a cut on his head after a large wave engulfs them. After coming out of the water, Kenny asks if they're going back to George's place, and that they do. In a beautiful moment of silence, Kenny gets a band-aid in the bathroom while George waits on his bed, still in his wet clothes. Kenny discovers a nude photograph of Jim in the bathroom drawer and says nothing about the discovery upon returning to put the band-aid on George's forehead. At George's suggestion, Kenny strips his clothes to shower and they have a moment again in silence of simple admiration before Kenny heads to the bathroom. George puts on his housecoat and starts a fire in the fireplace, and in the living room he gets Kenny and himself a beer each from the kitchen. They chat to a subtle piano tune in the background, though one not featured on the soundtrack. Finally, after some more conversation, George asks Kenny why he followed him, and Kenny says that he simply wanted to see him somewhere other than school, and that he was worried about him today. George assures Kenny that he's fine which he repeats to himself as he closes his eyes and dreams of the toned body in the water that we saw off the top of the film during the opening credits. The music underneath during this scene is called And Just Like That. George wakes up in his bed and, realizing some time has passed, he gets up to go to the living room where Kenny is asleep on the couch with a blanket. George admires Kenny's sleeping beauty for a moment before tucking him in further, and he realizes that Kenny is holding George's gun underneath the blanket. He'd taken it for what we can only infer as to prevent potential disaster, but the reason isn't actually answered. George takes the gun and tucks Kenny in, and walks back to his desk, placing the gun back in the drawer, and he closes and locks it. He then opens the sliding glass door to his living room and 
looks outside at a nearly full blood orange moon in another moment of silence before the same piece of music picks up again. Another voiceover follows and George cleans up some papers and burns his suicide notes in the fire. He exhales a sigh of relief as they burn and he walks over to his bed and sits down reflecting. He says still in the voiceover, and I realize that everything is exactly the way it's meant to be. Before reaching over to his bedside lamp, his right arm stiffening, a look of fear creeping up in his face, he falls to the ground, a heart attack. And in his brief delirium between life and death, he sees Jim stand over him, lean down, and kiss him before fading away again. And George dies. And that, folks, is A Single Man. I think it's a very sophisticated film and quite amazing for Tom Ford's directorial debut. I'll definitely have to add the Christopher Isherwood novel to my list. Overall, Korzeniowski's score really rises to the occasion, as do the additional pieces of music by Umebayashi. I feel that the overall tone and musical palette the score works from is very rich in color, giving the audience life at times in an almost lifeless day, as happens with George himself. It's a film well worth watching, with great performances from all the actors involved, and I believe it's available to watch on Amazon Prime if you have that. For next week's episode, I'll be welcoming another special guest to the show to chat about the role of music in film. Who could it be? Make sure you're following the podcast's Instagram account, at Film Music Friday, where I'll be announcing the guest next week before the episode airs. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Film Music Friday, and if you like listening to me talk about film music on Fridays, be sure to follow on Spotify, rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and share far and wide on social media. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay well, my friends. This has been Film Music Friday, the podcast, and I am your host, Aaron Smale. Thanks for listening. <laughs>